Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. So this is actually a great day for you guys to come. We are wrapping up this series, Seemingly Impossible. And if it is your first time here, let me kind of catch you up to speed as to what we're doing, what we've been talking about. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he pulls his disciples together and he goes, all right, boys, here's the deal. I'm getting ready to go. But I, need, I, got, I got a mission for you. I've got what he calls the Great Commission. I need you to go out into the world. I need you to make disciples of every single nation. I need you to baptize them. And then I want you to teach them my commands. And that's an unusual thing for him to say because when we think about Jesus, we don't generally think about commands. We think, oh, you know, he's a love your neighbors yourself kind of a guy. But, but, but no, in fact, he, he did have commands. And every single week during this series, we've been, we've been taking a look. And what we've learned is that Jesus' commands are very easy to remember. Very short, very simple, nice little sound bites, very easy to remember, but they are seemingly impossible for us to accomplish, or at least that's what we've been telling ourselves. And so every week we've taken a look at one of these commands. Week one, Jesus said, thou shalt not fear. He goes, you don't need to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. I know when you were kids, your mom and dad said, you don't need to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. But I am telling you that even when there is, you don't need to be afraid. And then he said, judge not. Judge not. That's a hard one for us. He goes, don't size someone up and write them off just because of what they look like, what they're wearing, how they may speak. Get to know them. Get to love them. Pour into their lives. And then he said, thou shalt not sin. And we hear that one and we go, well, that just that seems impossible. I mean, the other ones, okay, maybe, but sin not. He said, yes, sin not. Leave your life of sin. And what we learned is that Jesus didn't expect us to live a sinless perfection of a life, but he did expect us, because of what he did on that cross, to leave behind the old you. He knew that as humans, we would, you know, never be perfect this side of heaven. But when he died on that cross, he didn't die just to forgive us of our sins, but, but to set us free from them, to give us the power to walk away from the old you. And last week we talked about everybody's favorite, thou shalt not worry. And, and, and Jesus assured us, he goes, you have to understand that God knows exactly what you need. You're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about the future. God has got tomorrow under control. Do not worry about tomorrow. Everything is going to be fine. Now, today, as we kind of wrap up this series, we are going to be talking about a topic that I believe every single one of us at some point in our life struggles with. Some of us more than others, at certain times, more than other times. But this is such an important topic that if if we don't learn how to properly respond when this issue presents itself, then it can absolutely have disastrous effects. So we're wrapping up this series by talking about how Jesus said, thou shalt not doubt. He said, don't doubt. Don't do it. And yet we do it. Just like he said, don't worry, and we worry. Just like he said, don't be afraid, and we're afraid, and don't judge, and we judge. He says, don't, don't doubt. Now, the thing with doubt is that we don't normally, let's call it, set a date with doubt. We don't say, you know, what's tomorrow? Saturday? Okay, here's the deal. 10 o'clock, I'm going to Starbucks. I'm going to get a blonde roast, and I'm just going to doubt for about 30, 45 minutes. Not a problem, okay? Nice little Saturday, all right? Afterwards, we'll go to Home Depot. We'll get some flooring and wallpaper. Maybe we'll go to Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have time, all right? This is generally not how things work with doubt. Usually, it comes knocking on your door, unexpected, uninvited, and just messes everything up, okay? But let's just get on the same page for today just so we understand this thing about doubt. Everybody doubts. Everyone doubts. I doubt, you doubt, I've had the conversations. To to doubt is to be human. 
No one is exempt. No one is exempt from doubt at all. No one doubts. Now, when we're talking about doubt, doubt generally in the life of a Christian, by the way, because today we're going to be talking about Christians. If, if, if you're not a Christian in the room, you can just sit back and, 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 and watch us. But when we're talking about doubt in the life of a Christian, it generally falls into two categories. And, and they, they come in the forms of questions. And it's, is it worth it? And is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth following Jesus when it sometimes puts me at odds with culture? Is it worth it to follow Jesus when I have to make some sacrifices? Is it worth it to follow Jesus when, when it makes dating difficult and awkward sometimes? Is it worth it to follow Jesus when, when I don't get to, shall I say, when I miss out on some things that other people seem to be enjoying do it, doing? Is it true? Is the Bible all real? Is Jesus really who he claims to be? Now, when most churches do messages on doubt, they tend, generally speaking, tend to focus on the, is it true category? And we try to answer some theological questions, some things in the Bible that you may struggle with. And that's good and that's helpful, but I'll just tell you this. I believe that very few Christians leave the faith, walk away from Jesus because they don't believe that Noah's Ark is real. Because they've read something in the Bible and they go, "Mm, I don't believe that, I'm out, I'm walking away. People don't become Christians because of some of those things. But generally speaking, most don't walk away from the faith because they've asked the question, is it true? And they say, "Mm, I'm out of here. Most times, people begin to ask the question, is it worth it? And when they kind of look at their life and they realize, oh, this is tough and this is hard, this is confusing and and it's it's pushing me into things that I don't totally understand and it's kind of difficult. And they say, no. It's not. And they walk away. And so today, I want to focus on the is it worth it question because I think this is what most of us struggle with most of the time. And and the thing is this, what I want to focus on is this idea that there are certain times in your life where you're going to face difficult circumstances that can drive us to doubt, that can drive us to begin asking the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? And when that doubt comes, if it's left unchecked, it can absolutely pull us away from Jesus. So today I want to focus on the disciples. I'll show you a couple of different examples of some times that they doubted because there are some things that we can really, really learn from their life. So first things first, you need to know that all of Jesus' followers doubted him. Now, maybe some didn't, but from what I see in the scriptures, it sure seems like every single one of them doubted. In fact, it looks like none of them believed that he was who he claimed to be until they saw him rise from the grave. They all doubted. They all had questions. Take a look at John the Baptist. Talked about him in January, if you've been around here for a while. John the Baptist is one of the most famous people in the entire Bible. During Jesus' life, John the Baptist was considered to be almost a rock star of that time. Everybody knew who he was. He would get enormous crowds. Now, John the Baptist was the man who single-handedly announced Jesus' arrival on the scene. Jesus showed up one day in the river. John the Baptist goes, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He baptized Jesus. When Jesus came out of the water, they saw the Holy Spirit come down out of heaven like a dove onto Jesus. John was a part of all of this. And then just a little while later, John the Baptist gets arrested for his beliefs and for standing up for what was right, and he finds himself in a jail. And all of a sudden, he starts asking the question, is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? I mean, I I signed up for this Jesus thing, but, but now look at me. 
Look what's happened in my life. Is it worth it? Is it true? And so he grabs a couple of his assistants and he goes, I need you to go find Jesus. I need you to go find Jesus and I need you to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Are you that guy? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Essentially, he's saying, if it's not you, then who? Because I, I thought I had all this figured out. I thought you were him, but, but, but things don't seem to be working out as well as I thought they'd be working out. And Jesus doesn't come down on him like a ton of bricks. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't say, how dare you disrespect the Lord God Almighty. In that moment, Jesus says to his friends, he goes, all right, tell John. And he gives him a couple of passages, some prophecies from the Old Testament. He goes, John will see this. John will understand exactly what this means. Now, Jesus had another disciple who was so famous for doubting, he got the nickname Doubting Thomas. Maybe he didn't know where this came from. There was one of his disciples named Thomas. Now, here's the thing with Thomas. Thomas doubted Jesus after the resurrection. That's some good doubt, okay? Jesus just, you know, Je- you know Jesus shows up in the, he just, you know, I don't, if you know this scene, he just starts appearing out of nowhere. Jesus appears out of nowhere. He's standing right in front of Thomas, and they're having a conversation. Thomas can see him, and Thomas basically goes, this is a little awkward, Jesus, but I really don't believe that, that, you, that this is you. Uh, I know we're talking, and I know I can see you, but unless I can touch those wounds that I'm looking at, I'm not, I'm just not, I just, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. And take a look at what Jesus said. Jesus goes, well, put your finger here, here, see my hands. Reach, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. There's our command. Stop doubting and believe. And in this moment, even though this is quite the doubt, Jesus doesn't get mad. He doesn't come down on him like a ton of bricks. He didn't say, how dare you? He just says, well, what can I do to bring you along in your doubt. And these are just two examples. So the New Testament is loaded with examples, just loaded with examples. But then Jesus says something about you and me. He looks at Thomas and he goes, because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Basically, he looks at Thomas and he goes, you got it easy, my man. I mean, I am right here. You were looking at me. We just had a meal. You've touched the wounds. You've touched my side. This is very easy for you, but, but you need to understand that at some point in the future, in 2019, in a church called Downtown Harbor Church, there's going to be people in those rows who believe in me, but they have never seen me. They have never touched me. They have never touched my wounds. or put. But they will be blessed because they believe me in their faith. And the reason this is so encouraging for every single one of us, I believe, is because what we learn is that Jesus doesn't toss you out just because you doubt. Okay, listen, if you like rhymes, this is a day for you. If you're a Southern Baptist in this room, this is your day, okay? Because I don't normally rhyme if you've been here before, but like doubt really lends itself to some good rhymes. So buckle up, okay? (laughs) Jesus doesn't toss you out just because you doubt. He's not insulted. He doesn't write you off. He doesn't wash his hands of you and say, how dare you? Come on, what are you thinking? In fact, what we see is quite the opposite. What we see is time and time again, Jesus uses these men in the midst and in spite of all their doubts. They did miracles. They saw Jesus do all these phenomenal things in spite of all their doubts, which means that you can be a Christian and still have doubts. You can be a Christian and you can still struggle with doubts. To say it another way, you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You don't have to be able to explain the entire Bible 
in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't even have to explain the entire New Testament to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to understand all the theological complexities of all the various things that we talk about to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason I know that is because these men spent three years with Jesus, ate meals with Jesus, probably slept in the same room as Jesus, watched Jesus perform miracles, bring people back from the dead, cure diseases, and they didn't believe that he was who he claimed to be until he came back from the grave. And that's good news for a lot of you. Because a lot of you are brand new to Christianity. A lot of you are growing in your faith and you're learning more and more each day and you're trying to figure out what this whole thing Christianity is all about. And doubts are going to come. They're going to come your way. But you need to understand, that is not the exception to the rule. That is the rule. And it's part of the process. But the reason we're having this conversation today and the reason Jesus spoke so heavily about doubt is because when those doubts come, and they are going to come, you need to be able to respond properly to them. Because if you don't, your doubts can take us out. There you go. Another butte. Okay? Your doubts can take you out of the game. Your doubts can, can take you off course. Your doubts can absolutely drag you away from the will of God in your life. So I just want to show you a couple of examples of how doubt played a major part in the lives of these disciples. So if you were here in week one of this series, we talked about the fact that thou shalt not fear. And we read this account about how the disciples found themselves in a boat. In fact, Jesus said, get in the boat. Now they're in a boat and, and, and they're paddling and the storms are getting worse and the wind is getting worse and they're becoming very afraid. And then Jesus does something amazing. He walks on water. Jesus walks out on water and greets them in the boat. Now in this moment, Peter recognizes something. He looks at Jesus and he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, I, I think, Jesus, if, if, if you invite me out onto the water, I think that I can actually do that too. You, you've got to invite me. I can't will it. This is not magic. It's not something that if I want to do it hard enough, I can do it. But if you invite me onto the water, I believe that I can do that too. And so Jesus says, all right, well, come on, get out of the boat. And so Peter gets out of the boat and Peter is standing on water, and all of a sudden, Peter is now walking on water. Now, here's the irony of using this story today. I know for a fact that some of you doubt this story. You hear this and you go, come on, really? Don't, just pay attention real quick, because we can learn something incredible about this. So Peter is now walking on the water, and we read this. But when he, Peter, saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord! He shouted, and I love this next section. Immediately, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus. Why? You, uh, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And here's why this is so amazing. I don't know if you're picking up on this. Jesus caught him while he was doubting. In the process of actively doubting, of looking at Jesus right in the eye, as he's now beginning to sink in the midst of the storm, Jesus doesn't come down on him like a ton of bricks. Jesus doesn't yell at him. Jesus doesn't chastise him. Jesus doesn't let him drown because he disrespected God with his doubts. Jesus immediately, without question, reached out, grabbed him, and saved him. And he goes, Why? Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? Now, we know. But the reason Peter doubted is because Peter started to doubt when he thought it might not work out. 
Peter started doubt when he thought it might not. I'm embarrassed at these slides, okay? Don't, don't. Thou shalt not judge, okay? So Peter steps out of the boat. He steps out to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, he looks around at the realities of his decision to follow after Jesus. And he goes, mm, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just don't think I could do this anymore. This is us. This is us. Because there's going to come a time in your life when you will step out to follow Jesus. Many of you have already done that. But there's going to come a time in life that you're going to step out to follow Jesus. And maybe you get baptized. Maybe you start reading the Bible for the first time in your life. Maybe you start to pray for the first time in your life. Maybe you start volunteering at church. You start going to a men's or women's ministry. Maybe you start trusting God with your finances and your, and your generosity. But then you kind of look at your life as a whole. And, and you say, you know, I said yes to Jesus. I became a Christian, but, uh, you know, I haven't got asked out on any new dates. I haven't gotten married. I still got that job that I hate. It's the same bills that I, that I can't afford. I made that prayer. It didn't seem to get answered. And we start asking ourselves, is it worth it? Is it true? Is it, is, it, is it worth it? Is it true? Again, this does not make your experience the exception to the rule. This is the experience that so many people for thousands of years, all of Jesus' followers, have gone through what you will go through. I want to give you one last example. And I believe that this is the greatest example of doubt in the entire scripture. And in this moment when these disciples are, are, are wrestling around with doubt, their doubt didn't almost just take them out in terms of their faith in Jesus. It almost pushed them into obscurity. It, it almost wiped them off the pages of history. So let me set the scene for you. Jesus just finished up doing uh, an amazing miracle, what we know as the feeding of 5,000. He took a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fishes, and he turned it into enough food to feed 5,000 people. And the disciples were a part of it. The disciples were the one holding the baskets, watching the food become, you know, greater and greater. They, they saw all of this. This was, this was not a surprise to them. They saw all of this. And as we talked about last week, food for this generation was a primary concern. So when Jesus did this, this wasn't like, you know, when someone brings donuts to the break room at work and it's a nice little treat at 10.30. Jesus was helping some of these guys not to starve. This is a big deal. And so about one or two days later, a large group from this 5,000, they come and find Jesus. And they, they walk up to him and they go, hey, hey, do another miracle. Feed us again and, and we'll believe you. And Jesus looks at all this, and, and he sees that some of them are just kind of goading him. Some of them are just hungry. And some of them are, are really searching to find out if he is who he, he claims to be. But he sees through all of this, and he uses it as a teaching opportunity. And he goes, all right, that bread that I gave you the other day, which you thought was really good, and by the way, if you notice, you're still hungry. That's why you're back. He goes, if you thought that was good, how about this? He goes, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, for I have come down from heaven. And at this point, somebody in the audience goes, no, you didn't. Wrong. Mm -mm. No, 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 he did not. I know his dad, Joseph. I know his mother, Mary. This is not, no, this is, this is not, no, this has not happened, okay? Ooh, crowd's getting a little testy. Unusual for one of Jesus' crowds. Now, but here's the thing. Jesus is not a politician. He doesn't, he doesn't back down. In fact, he actually doubles down. He goes, stop complaining. As he says, he goes, stop it. It's you. Stop. 
okay? And then he just really, he just really opens up the, the teaching. He goes, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And now the crowd is like, oh boy, okay, this is taking a turn. All right. We thought, okay, I see. All right. We thought we had somebody here. We thought we had somebody that could be the king, but now we see he's a whack job. Okay? <laughs> we, we, he's talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. This, was, this is a problem. This is a problem. Okay? Now, some in the audience understood that this is a word picture, but most of them were like, okay, my mom and dad told me about people like you, so this is, this is going to be, this is, a, this is not good. Okay? This is not good. Now, John paints the scene. He goes, on hearing it, meaning what Jesus just said to them, Many of his disciples, now this is not the 12, this is the group at large, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the crowd, his followers. Many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching, okay? This is what you've just said, who, who can accept this? Who, who, who can embrace what you've just said? Who, who can go along with, you're talking about eating your body and drinking your blood? Who wants to be associated with that? And the crowd starts to leave. I mean, remember, wherever Jesus went in his life, crowds followed. They couldn't wait to sit at his feet. They couldn't wait to hear. People who were nothing like him liked him, and he liked him back. But for the first time, he's losing them. And that's a problem because the crowds keep Jesus safe. And the crowds keep the 12 disciples safe. Because the Jewish religious leaders at that time wanted to get Jesus. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to kill him. But they couldn't touch him if the crowds were there. But now the crowds are leaving. And it's starting to get a little dicey in there for the disciples. And at this moment, I believe the disciples, maybe all of them, maybe one or two of them, would have jumped on the stage wherever Jesus was. And goes, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. Just, just, just wait. Before you go, just give us... Just give us five minutes. And they kind of grab Jesus and they walk him off to the side and they go, Jesus, knock it off. What are you doing? Talking about eating your body, drinking your blood. You're losing them, okay? You're going to get us killed. Don't talk about that kind of stuff. That's weird. Don't say that. Give him a parable. Give him the one about the dad with the two sons. Everybody loves that one. Okay, but don't, not with the, not with the blood and, and, and the flesh. This is not, no, you, this is not good. You're losing them. You're losing them. But of course they didn't say that. They were thinking it, okay? Just like you would think it too. Scripture says that from this time on, okay, this was meaning this was a turning point for Jesus. In this moment, this was a hinge point and a turning point for his ministry. It says many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And the 12 disciples are sitting there and they see all of this unfold. They, they hear the things that Jesus is saying. They, they see the crowd leaving and they start looking at each other and going, is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Now, Jesus knows the hearts of men. He can see exactly what's going on in the disciples' minds. And he asks them the mother of all pregnant questions. He goes, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Now, Jesus knows the answer already. Jesus is like a good attorney. He never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to. And Jesus sees that doubt is about to take them out. 
And I believe that this is perhaps one of the most important moments in history. I believe that this right here is perhaps one of the most important moments in history because these men at this point have no idea, no idea what hangs in the balance of their decision to stay with Jesus or to go leave with everyone else. Now, Jesus knows something that they don't know. Jesus knows that just up the road, just around the corner, he's going to use these men to do something amazing in this world. And he's going to use these men in a way that will change the world forever. That they are going to be a part of something that will change the very fabric of the universe that we all live in. But they don't know any of this. They don't know any of this. And they are this close to walking away. They're this close to walking away from Jesus because things got hard. Some of the things he said are confusing, and they're just not sure it's worth it anymore because now it's a little dangerous, and now people are walking away. So Jesus just looks at him and goes, you don't want to leave too, do you? You're not thinking about leaving me too, are you? This is an extremely relevant question for every single person in this room. Because the day is coming that you're going to get to a place in your life where you may consider leaving Jesus also. Now, you may be a lifelong Christian. You go, John, that's not me. That would never happen. Never say never. That's one thing I've learned when it comes to your faith. Never say never. Let me tell you, when these times of consideration, when they occur, because they strike always in a pattern and a lot of times in the same ways. Happens during a time of transition. From middle school into high school, high school into college, college into your first job, from that first job that's, you know, up in Ohio that now brought you down here to Fort Lauderdale. Because you once lived in a place where, where it was a very friendly Christian environment. Everybody was a Christian, but now, now you're in a city that isn't against Christianity. It just doesn't care. And all of a sudden, you don't really seem to have any Christian friends anymore, and you're all by yourself, and it's getting harder and harder and harder to be a Christian. And you, and, and you find yourself going, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Happens sometimes when you're looking for a relationship. You're single, okay? You're single. You're trying to do the right thing. But you live in a city that has a completely different view of morality than you do. You have respect for your body. You have a different concept of timing. You're in a dating scene that just doesn't care at all. And being a Christian is making it very difficult for you to find a mate. It's making things awkward. Your beliefs seem to be getting in the way. And you just see yourself getting older and older and older. And you're feeling lonely. And you start looking around at everybody else. And everybody else seems to be finding somebody. And a Friday night when you're all by yourself watching Friends reruns, you start asking, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because, because if, I just, if I just ease up on this Jesus thing, if I just say, you know what? Mm, then I could easily find a mate. That's when it strikes. Or maybe it comes during unanswered prayer. You're going through an extremely hard time in your life. A really, really tough time. And you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and it seems like the prayers are not being answered. And you've always believed, but now it seems like believing really isn't working anymore. 
and you get to a place and you go, am I spinning my tires? I mean, why, why am I holding on to this Jesus thing? He doesn't seem to be doing anything in my life right here and right now. And I think it's in this moment that Jesus just steps in. He looks right into our eyes. He puts his hands on our shoulders. And he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? You don't want to leave too, do you? And Jesus asked this question to his disciples in the most pivotal point in history and in their life when they were about to walk away from everything, missing out on all of what God wanted to do in their lives. And Peter, who never says the right thing, finally says something brilliant. It says, Simon Peter answered him. He goes, Lord, and you're ready for what, what comes next because what comes next is why we're here today. What comes next is, the, is, is the re- everything I've said so far builds up to this moment, this statement that he makes, this question that he asks. This right here is the game changer. Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, to whom? Shall we go? To whom shall we go? And this is the question that every single one of us must ask whenever doubt rears its ugly head. Whenever we find ourselves in a time of transition, whenever we find ourselves being tempted in a search for a relationship, whenever we find ourselves in a time of life where it feels like everything is collapsing and our prayers aren't being answered, we must ask ourselves, and we can make it personal, to whom shall I go? Now, Peter understood the significance of this question. And in this moment, he's like, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's getting a little dangerous. Yeah, you say a lot of things that I don't understand. And yeah, following you is a sacrifice. But, but if not you, Jesus, then who? If not this, if not Christianity, then what? And Peter kind of looks at the other 11 and he goes, guys, if we're going to leave him, because it looks like that's what we're getting ready to do, then we better know to whom we're walking and where we're walking to, because that's important. And that's something that we need to know as well. Because when you step away from Jesus, you are stepping towards something else. When you walk away from Jesus, you are necessarily walking towards something else. And I'll just tell you this, as a pastor, I've heard far too many stories of folks who packed it in, who walked away from Jesus for any number of circumstances, only to shipwreck their lives. So Peter kind of continues to walk through this whole thought process of his, and he goes, Jesus, you have the words that give eternal life. We believe and and we know you are the Holy One of God. He's saying, Jesus, nobody else is talking about eternal life. Nobody else is talking about the hereafter like you are. I mean, nobody else has invited us to be a part of a larger story, to be a part of what the creator of the universe is writing. So, so, so yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's confusing. But, but to whom shall we go? And here's what's so amazing about just these two or three lines. In this short conversation, these men have completely reversed courses. They went from asking the question, is it worth it? Maybe we should go, to saying, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know. Now, Jesus didn't stop them and say, hey, before you make this decision, 
let me just let you in on your future. I'm going to do something amazing for you guys. You are going to be a part of something incredible that will change the world. He didn't tell them. They don't know this at all. Nothing has changed for them. Nothing has changed except for the clarity that comes from asking the question, to whom shall we go? And then they continue to doubt up until the very end, until they saw Jesus come back from the grave. And when they saw that, when they recognized that Jesus was who he claimed that he was, everything changed. The doubt disappeared. It was gone. And God the Father used that former group of doubters to write the New Testament, to travel the world making disciples for Jesus Christ. They they were filled with bold courage to speak before people that they were afraid of before. And God used them to change this world. And they almost missed out on all of it. Doubt almost took them out. But after asking the question, the simple question, the profound question, to whom shall we go? To whom shall I go? They realized that it is worth it. And it is true. And yeah, it might be hard. And yeah, following Jesus requires some sacrifice. And yeah, sometimes it's going to put me at odds with culture. But having a relationship with the Savior of the world is worth it. Now here's something else you might never have thought of before. We're here today because those men didn't let doubt take them out. We have the Bible because these men didn't let their doubt take them out. We have the church because these men didn't let doubt take them out. My name's John because John didn't let doubt take him out. You may be named Andrew or Peter or Stephen or Mark because those men didn't let doubt take them out. And why is this important? It's important because I don't know where some of you are today. I don't know what's happening in your lives right now. I don't, I don't know how close you are to packing it up and walking away from Jesus. But I will just tell you this, from what we read in the scriptures today, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to stay where to go. And sadly, we'll never know what God would have done in your life if you allowed doubt to take you out. Like the disciples, God doesn't tell us what he's got planned in our lives. We just don't know. If we leave, if we walk away, we'll have no clue what God would have done in our relationships. If we pack it up and we leave, we'll have no idea what God would have done in our marriages. We'll have no idea what God would have done in our careers, in our finances. So is it worth it? You'll never know if you go. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So let me just say this, and I don't know who in the room needs to hear this, but I guarantee it's somebody. You are not bad, and Jesus isn't mad because you doubt. Now, I know some of you had a really bad experience with church at some point in your life. And maybe you had some doubt in your head, and maybe you asked the wrong question to the wrong person, and it felt like the church came down on you like a ton of bricks. Maybe that was apparent. I'll just tell you this. 
I don't see any examples in the scripture of Jesus doing that to people when they came to him with doubt. In fact, I just see example after example of Jesus coming alongside those people with love and saying, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to help you move past this? Secondly, I would challenge you. Let doubt drive you to dig deeper. Now, this is that category, is it true? But I wanted to touch on it before we leave. There's going to come a time in your life when you're reading through Scripture and you read something and you go, mm, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that. That doesn't sound, mm, that sounds fake. That sounds made up. I think this is a fairy tale. And all of a sudden, we let it unwind everything. Don't, don't, don't let intellectual doubt take you out. Okay? Come talk to me. Come talk to Christina. Get a book on Amazon. Let me just tell you this. There's always an answer. You just might not know what that answer is right now. And lastly, be aware. Be aware in times of transition and temptation and trouble. That group that we talked about earlier on. These are the areas when doubt strikes. And we need to be aware of when we're in these seasons of life. Because let me tell you this. When you're in a season of transition, okay, when you're in a season of just going through some really hard stuff in life, when you're in a season of, of kind of trying to find that mate, you are vulnerable. And the enemy knows this. And he will capitalize and try to exploit on your vulnerabilities. And you need to be aware of when you are in these times. So let me just encourage you to do something. Surround yourself with some Christian friends. And if you're new to the area and you would say, John, I, I would love nothing more, but I've just transitioned here. I don't know anybody. It seems like I'm all, here's what I would do. I'm going to give you three things to fix this immediately. Okay? Sign up to volunteer at this church. Not because we need you for help because it's one of the best things that you can do. Adam, guy who did the announcements, has created an amazing team of people, 20, 30, 40 people who come here every Sunday. And it's like this team and this family, and they talk all week, and some of them grab lunch, but they support each other, and it's the fastest way for you to get plugged in to some really great people that can be there for you when you need them. If that doesn't work for you, come to down DHC Nights. It's fun. It's low-key. It's low-pressure. Township is a fun place. Come on out. Meet some people. Get plugged in. Surround yourself with some good people. And lastly, you can always sign up for the men's or the women's ministry. Women's kicks off in the, in this fall, later this winter. Men's goes all year round for right now. But that's a great way to dive a little deeper and to surround yourself with some accountability and some friends. Remember, the disciples walked three years with Jesus, and they struggled with doubt. But the thing that kept them from walking away, the question that they asked that was simple and profound, that was preserved for 2,000 years for us for today, was to whom shall you go? Make this a part of your life. Allow this to drive you back to Jesus. Is it worth it? Is it true? We'll never know if we go. So let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today. Lord, I don't personally know what folks are going through right now, but I do know that since they're human, doubts are a struggle. Doubts are a struggle. God, I pray that today that we would find encouragement in this profound question that your disciple Peter asked 2,000 years ago, to whom shall we go? 
We may not understand everything you say. We may not be able to explain the Bible. We may not understand why things happen the way that we happen, Lord, but, but you are the Savior of this world. You died so that we can have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. God, have, help us have the strength today. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, to not walk away, but to stay. To see what you have planned for our life. What you have planned for our marriages, our careers, our families. Help us, Lord, to do what you've challenged. To go out into the world. To make disciples for Jesus Christ. To love one another as ourselves. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.